Acts chapter 19 on your phones, in your Bibles. Last week we talked about how the Word of God has the power to transform communities. We saw how it transformed the city of Ephesus, and we'll see some ramifications of that today. Uh, but it's the same powerful Word that transformed Ephesus will be the same powerful Word that transforms Covington. And so when we talk about build my life upon Jesus' love, these aren't empty words that we're expressing because all of us are building lives on something. Everybody in the room is building their life on something. Whether it's your athleticism or your brain power, your earning power, your job, your popularity, you're building on something. And what we see is Jesus is the only way you'll have a firm foundation built on the rock. So that's what we're going to dig into. We're going to see the consequences of the word saturating a city. You see this in Acts 19. Paul's preaching the word day in and day out with his boys. And he said this continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord. And then we see what happens. People are turning from their magic books. They're bringing the books and they're laying them down and they're burning them. And it's a lot of money being consumed in this magic stuff, but they don't need them anymore because they found somebody better and more powerful in Christ. And then we see in Acts 19, verse 20, so the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. What would it look like in Covington to see the word of God increase and prevail mightily? That is my prayer for our city. That's my prayer for my life, my family, my city. And I hope you join me in that prayer. So I'm going to read this uh, verse 23 to 41. It's a little bit long. Gets a little bit crazy in Ephesus. I'm going to read it and then we're going to do some work. All right. Verse 23. About this time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. All right. Back in the day, um, this is the name that they gave to Christians. The way because they said Jesus was the way. If you want to get to the Father, you got to go through Christ. So they said, hey, they're messing this city up. They're flipping it upside down. Verse 24, for a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines to Artemis, brought no little business uh, to the craftsmen. So if you had a Fortune 500 company, Demetrius was the CEO. He knew what he was doing. He was good at what he was doing, and he was losing business. These he gathered together with the workmen and similar trades and said, men, you know... From this business, we have our wealth, right? So they'd create these silver statues, they'd sell them so people could worship this false god named Artemis. Verse 26, and you see in here that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many of people saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there's danger not only in this trade of ours may come to disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing. She may even be disposed of from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. Then, when they heard this, the city was enraged and crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And what happens is they go to the theater, and this is a place where thousands of people can gather, and there's this great yelling, and so they try to put somebody up to calm the crowd, and for two hours, they're yelling the same thing, Great is Artemis, great is Artemis. Can you imagine going somewhere for two hours and hearing the same refrain, great is Artemis. You would, if that's your idol. You see, when idols are crushed and threatened, chaos ensues. 
Think about it. The thing you're building your life on, if it's taken from you, people get desperate. And that's what's happening in Ephesus. Then we'll scroll on down, verse 35. And when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is the temple keeper of the great Artemis and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky? That sacred stone turned out to be a meteor, but they thought Artemis was the stone. Seeing then that those things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash, for you have brought these men here who neither are sacrilegious or blasphemers of our goddess. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open, there is proconsuls, let them go and take their charges to them. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly, for we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And when he said that, he quieted and dismissed the crowd. After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for his disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. All right, let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for those gathered. Lord, I pray you open up our eyes to see what you have for us, open up our hearts to hear. Father, I pray that we understand this is a very dangerous thing when we go after idols. So I pray that we turn from idols to you, the one true living God. Pray that we build on the foundation that is Christ. So I pray you open up hearts, open up eyes. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, my wife and I um, went to this thing called the Taste of India. This was a few years ago. It was in Cincinnati. Um, and what happens is you, you go uh, to this Hindu temple and they have all of their foods and all their attire and, and it's just, it's a massive production. And we go in and, and I want to check out the temple, like what's inside this building, right? And I go into this building and when I look forward, um, what happens is you see their idols. There's 12 of them. I need to go ahead and put the picture up. When you see these pictures, now the thing is you see all these different, what they would call deities. Now, here is the sad part. People would be in here, bowing down, sitting up here. You see these carpet. They would take the carpet, put it in front of whichever god or goddess they wanted to worship. And there was a place where you would drop in money, you would pray, and then you would worship, and then you would leave. And so if you wanted strength, you pick one, this one's strength. And if you wanted wisdom, you pray, and this one. If you needed uh, children, you would go and, and pray to the goddess of fertility. And, and it's just, it's a eye-opening, discouraging view to see because none of these can give you anything. As a matter of fact, I could pull this chair up, set it up here, and we could put money on the chair, and we could bow down to the chair and pray to the chair, and it would do as much good as going before this statue or this statue or this statue. And yet it's blinding millions of people across the globe. But in their worship, you see their desperation. They're building their life on something that is not going to hold them up. So in Hinduism, there is over 33 million gods. Now, when it comes to us, we're a little bit better at hiding our idols. None of us are going into a temple and have statues carved that we're going to bow down and worship, but I would say we have just as many idols. 
And so I want us to, to dig in and I want us to look at what is an idol, what do they look like today, and then I want us to identify them in our lives. So number one, I think this is a, a good, if, if anybody wanted to sum up Christianity, I think they could go to 1 Thessalonians 1, 9 and 10. So if you're taking notes, write that down. It's 1 Thessalonians 1, 9 and 10. If you're on your phone, write that in your phone. Somehow, I want you to do work in getting this verse into your mind and your heart. This is what they said. For they report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. If you want Christianity in a nutshell, that's it. Turning from idols to the living God, Jesus, who will return for His people. And those in Christ now have no condemnation. There is no wrath to come. You can build your life on Christ. He can hold you up. Then in Romans 1.25, I think this is a good definition. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator. That's an idol. That's an idol. You have affections more for something created than the Creator. And now listen, that could be a million different things. Some of you will worship your health. Some of you will worship popularity. Some of it will be athletic ability. Some of it will be money. But make no mistake, it can't hold you up. You've exchanged the Creator for what's been created. Idolatry starts in the heart. It's a craving, a wanting, an enjoying, being satisfied by anything that we treasure more than God. So look in your own life. right? Look in your own life right now and you're saying, if this wasn't here, I'm done for. Or if you were making a top ten list, what are you most passionate and affectionate for? What drives you? If it's anything other than Jesus, you are facing, you're entering, you're flirting with idols. And man, they're sneaky. They don't look like that. It gets in our heart and then we start wrestling. And before you know it, it's messing our lives up. So how do we identify them? Well, you, you see here, um, what did Paul do? He goes into the city and says, Artemis isn't a god at all. She's made by man. She can't do anything for you. And man, Paul is not shy. Paul, there's a reason why Paul almost dies every city he goes into. I mean, think about what Paul does. He comes into this city. Hey, you know that unknown God? I'm going to tell you who that God is. And as a matter of fact, you can get rid of all those other guys that you think you know because they're not guys at all. That's in Athens. Right? Then he goes into Lystra. He upsets that city. He almost dies. They thought he was dead. They would have kept throwing rocks at him if, he, if they knew he wasn't dead. And then he gets back up, dusts himself off, goes back into the same city and still tells them about Jesus. And then he gets into Ephesus, and the whole city's turned upside down. In two years, the great goddess Artemis and her temple is tumbling down because there's no revenue to keep it up. And so I put a picture of this temple. Now, it's not around today, but it is one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. Everybody in the world knew where this temple was. Now, back in this time... This is and this picture doesn't do it justice to see how big these columns are. There's 127 of these things. This place is massive. 
It's unreal how big this is. There's a reason why this is one of the seven ancient wonders. And then here comes Paul. Who was Paul? But he had a message. God was with him. And there's the power to turn upside down one of the ancient wonders. But before today, did any of you guys know there was a temple to Artemis? You don't hear about it too often, do you? You want to know why? Because it was burnt up by a fire. It was flooded. And then when the Goths raided the city, they tore that down. It's not around anymore. Nobody's worshiping Artemis anymore. Great and powerful Artemis. Not around. But the gospel, who Paul was proclaiming, is. And the gospel is still transforming lives. And so just like Artemis and the temple and that whole religion's gone, our idols will crumble and fall too. So let's do some identifying work. Maybe you don't have the idol of Vishnu in Hinduism, but maybe you bow down to the idol of comfort. Maybe the idol you worship is your own comfort. So you'll spend your money excessively so that you're comfortable. Right? You've got to have the best car. You've got to have the biggest and best house. You're going to spend for your comfort. And when your comforts threaten, whether it's through scheduling conflicts or time management, you get angry and you get mad because you want to be comfortable. That could be an idol that you're pursuing. Maybe your idol is power. When I was talking to a couple of guys and I was looking at our city, um, this is one of those idols. Covington is worshiping the idol of power. And if you don't have power, you're going to do everything you can to get power. I believe that's also why at our school and in our city we have so many fights. You can't ignore a comment that comes your way because we're not a punk. And that is a power struggle. When you rely on yourself for your power, when someone threatens your power, you will react violently to show that you are powerful. And that's a God that we bow down and worship. You have the idol of money. I will steal for it. I'll rob people for it. I'll lie about it to keep more of it. I'll work 80 hours a week to make more money. My security rests in money markets and bank accounts. I would be happy if I only had more money, as if money can have your life built on. It's an idol. Idol of pleasure, right? You seek after things that God has created rather than God for your pleasure. We talked about last week how in the presence of God is the fullness of joy. And yet, man, we are constantly seeking for things for our pleasure, and they'll never, ever be able to deliver. And so um, we'll go marriage, right? A lot of us in the room married, and we'll make marriage our idol, but honestly, it's our pleasure that's our idol, so that if my spouse will please me, I'll remain in the marriage, but as soon as my spouse doesn't live up to the standard I've set for her or him, I'm out. I'll look for somebody else. And all of a sudden, pleasure becomes the idol. Or... I'll have sex with whoever I want, whenever I want, because my pleasure is most important. I don't care about honoring God with the body He's given me. Or, I'll eat whatever I want, whenever I want, however much I want, because my pleasure is of utmost importance. 
A lot of idols we bow down to. Idol of achievement. Right? We had basketball tryouts this past week. A lot of the guys would bow down to the idol of making a team. It's interesting. There's a lot of things with this. I will be successful at all costs. You have guys that will practice hours and hours and hours to be successful at a game that means nothing in the backdrop of eternity. I will work to get a promotion. I'll talk about people and push myself ahead of them so that I can move ahead of them in the line at work. Worked in a sport till I'm a starter or an all-star or a Division I athlete or a professional. My hope rests in wins, athletic success, or business success. You have the idol of family, the idol of popularity. So a couple of groups. So, so every person has an idol, right? You guys have your own idols. I have my own idols. And there's different temptations for you and there's different temptations for me. But we were created to worship. And if it's not Jesus, we'll go after something else that is our idol. And then every group has their idols. So one thing that uh, the football team, we have to be careful of, is our idol can't be winning. Right? Winning will never, ever bring you lasting happiness. That can't be the main goal. And what happens in games is when we're not winning, our team falls apart. Not always. Sometimes. When things get rough, things fall apart. We start pointing fingers. We start treating people like they're dirt. Why? Because our idol's being threatened. We want to win. We want everybody to know we're winners. And so we hold up this idol of winning at all costs, and we'll treat people however we want to when our winning is threatened. I remember uh, my senior year, we had these half shirts. I regret the, the fact, the back of them. Uh, they said, state champs, no excuse. State champs, no excuse. And so I remember putting the half shirt on underneath our shoulder pads, going out and playing. And then the second game of the season, our only hope at state championship tore his ACL. Right? Done for the season. Well, then we got our backup. Our backup was pretty good. He broke his leg, tore his shin bone. Whatever this bone is up front, it just snapped. Nastiest thing I've ever seen. Right? And then our best tackle, our left tackle, huge mammoth of a man, got bit by an itty-bitty spider, and they almost had to amputate his leg. He was done for the season because it got to the bone. Right? And now I'm starting to think, I'm seeing these shirts, I'm thinking, we're not going to win a state championship. <laughs> right? And we hold this thing up like, hey, this is what we're going, this is what we're going to sacrifice. And I'll tell you what, as a senior, God was gracious that I could see sports, are so fun to play, but they make a terrible God. And I remember going up my senior year working and working and working hours and hours in the weight room, hours and hours in the practice field, and in on one play, my ACL was torn. Snapped my knee, fourth game of the year, and that was it. And I'm thinking, man, if that was it, and the goal was to be a successful uh, Division I football player, which I wasn't, I was too slow, uh, and not strong enough. But other than that, uh, I could have made it. Um, if all of my hope and, and all of my dreams were lined up in this, when God removed the temptation to worship that, I was able to stand because I was standing on Christ. Now, did it stink? Absolutely. So one way you can know if, you're, if it's an idol or not is if it's removed, you're able to say, you know what? I'm going to make it through. I'm sad, but I'm not broken. Life's going to go on. That's when you know something in your life was a good gift from God and it didn't take the place of God. Now, if when that thing is removed, you'll do whatever you can to get it back 
or you despair of life, that has become an idol in your life. All right, so we have to identify the idols. Um, I was watching uh, Remember the Titans last night. Um, fun movie, sad ending. Uh, my youngest daughter has a heart. She cries at everything. And so uh, poor Gary Bertier got in two accidents and, and lost his life at the end. So she's, she's crying. But there was something, I think, even more sad than that in the movie. And it was with Coach Boone. Coach Boone comes to this football field, and it's just him, and you have the lights. And he says, hey, this is my sanctuary. That is idolatry language, right? I have to come to this field to feel peace. And so what I wish, and I'm listening, it's a movie. I don't think Coach Boone thought that. From what I've read of Coach Boone, it sounded like it was a man that loved Jesus. But it's acting. And when I think of that, though, I think of some guys, that is true. They feel safety and security and purpose and importance on a court or a field, in a job or in a relationship. And I'm just thinking, how can you ignore the creator of the universe who loves you so much that comes to earth, dies on a cross so that you might have life in his name? And you're like, I don't want that. I don't need that. I'm going to hold on to this. Putting a ball through a hoop or running a ball down a field or a girlfriend or a boyfriend. How can we just shrug our shoulders at the God of the universe who gave everything for us? So we have to identify these aisles. And then once you identify them, we have to apply the gospel to them. Now, this is the very, very important part. If there's going to be life change, you have to apply the gospel to these aisles. It can't be both and, right? I've been married for 15 years. I'm not bringing any girlfriends. I'm not dating anybody. Right? Because it's not Julianne plus, it's Julianne only. And God is the same way. It's Jesus only. And so when you start flirting with things and you're thinking they're very important, God doesn't play. God is a jealous God. And here's the awesome part. You were created so that you find your purpose and joy and peace and love in life only in Christ. And your heart will constantly go after idols when you're trying to meet the need that only God can meet. So when you identify the, the idols, you've got to apply the gospel. You expose those idols through the gospel. Paul said, hey, these are made up guys. They're not gods at all. And the business collapses. Artemis couldn't hold it up because she's not around. And that's how Paul applied the gospel. Jesus will share no space with an idol. Jesus is not someone you add to your life. He is your life. And so my message to you today is it's Jesus only. Can't be Jesus plus. You might know about him. You might have heard of him. He's worth all your heart. He's worth building your life on. Only Jesus. Now listen, I've, I tried this earlier. It went a little sideways. We're going to try it again. All right. So, I need you guys to participate. Give me something that people will bow down to as an idol, right? Something that people worship. Now, when you say it, don't be afraid. People might say, oh, that's what they worship. Give me an example of what somebody else worships, right? An idol somebody else worships. Trace? Money. I like it. 
Social media? Somebody else? Sports. Sports. Hey, and, and honestly, a lot of us, our identity is in sports. I remember uh, Bud Whimsey, right? I, I love that dude. One of the best coaches I've ever been around. His name is on eight banners up at Holmes, right? I count them, eight banners. You want to know how many names, how many banners my name's on? One, but it's not me. There was another Ben Brown that went to Boone County High School <laughs> that won in 1996. But if anybody asks you, yeah, I got a banner up. Just don't match the dates, right? Here's Bud has eight. And I'm just thinking, man, for me, just to win a few games, I was so proud of that. I can't imagine the temptation it is to find your identity and your purpose and success at sports. And so sports is absolutely an out. Somebody else? Perfection. Perfection. That could be grades. It could be your body. You're not happy with how you look. And so you're constantly working and you're never. So perfection. Somebody else? Material stuff, things, whether it's cell phones. Hey, you want to know what? When we try to take cell phones, it's an idol. Absolutely. Can become an idol. Anybody else got anything else? Power. Two more. Anybody else? Yep. Hey, and I would include marriage. I would include spouse. So for the married people, it's your spouse, right? You're only happy if your spouse pleases you. And then for dating, I'm only happy if this girl or this boy loves me, cares me, or affectionate for me. But if she doesn't return my affection, my life's ruined. Absolutely. Phil, which one out of these do you think is most tempting to you? Money, sports, power? Sports. All right, which one's sports? Right here. All right, Phil, I want you to try to stand on that cup. Just try it. Just try it. Stand in the middle of it. Come on, just try it. All right, hey, leave it there. Mirdy, which one left? Job. Which one's job? All right, let's see it. Oh, Mirdy, I got bad news for you, buddy. That's the weakest cup up here. <laughs> Nothing, right? Nothing, right? And, and money, what will happen is we'll start worshiping money and we start getting some money and we start thinking, oh, maybe I, can, maybe I can lean on this thing. Man, and you smash it. But then you're thinking either I need a different idol to worship because money's not working or if I just had more money. So we stack it up and guess what? Doesn't work, right? And then you just keep on going down the line, guys. And, and every one of these, it, it'll never... Dunkin' Donuts was tough. Dunkin' Donuts was tough, right? None of these. None of these will work, right? Now, simple illustration, powerful point. There's only one that can hold you up, and his name's Jesus. And so these Ephesians were talking about how this rock came from heaven, and it's just a meteorite. There was a rock that moved that was significant. Jesus was buried. The tomb was covered by the stone. God moves the stone away, and Jesus bursts forth. Why? Because the grave couldn't hold him. You have a living God who loves you. And so what happens is when you identify idols in your life, me and you included, when you see this, what happens is you have a decision to make. You can react like Demetrius, cause an uproar, cause violence, look desperate because the thing you're building your life on is being threatened, 
Or you can do what a lot of people did in Ephesus. I'm burning the books. I'm turning to Jesus. I'm not doing this stuff anymore. I'll get a new profession, one that honors God. And so you have a decision to make. You can try to build your life on stuff that doesn't last, that'll be crushed under the weight that you're pushing down on it, or you'll find one who can carry you. And his name's Jesus. And so that's the decision you have to make. And it's a constant decision. There's a parable in the New Testament in Matthew. It talks about how a guy found this treasure in a field. And then at once he went and sold everything so he could have this field because of this treasure. And then Jesus gives another one. says, hey, there was this pearl. And in his joy, this guy goes and sells everything that he has so he can have this pearl of great price. This is what I can promise you from my own experience. Every time my affection started to grow for something other than Jesus, it was crushing. And every time I build on the rock who is Christ, it's stable. Jesus is the one you're looking for. Stop running after things that will never, ever satisfy. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, I lift up everybody in the room. Father, I pray that you give us wisdom. Give us eyes to see idols in our own lives. Help us see our hearts and where our affections are flowing to. Help us destroy them. Help us turn from the idols and turn towards you. Father, thank you for giving us a way to you through the cross. Thank you for saving us through his life and death and resurrection. Father, I pray that we all turn to you, the living God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.